I'm Ann Dart. I'm Tracy Stormy. And I'm Kathy Knight. And together we are It Was a Dark and Stormy Book Club, a podcast for mystery lovers. Welcome. Before we get started, I need a favor. Whatever device you're using to listen to us on, pick it up. Find our podcast and hit that like and subscribe button. It achieves two things. It'll give you a weekly podcast where you get to discover new authors and we get new listeners. Win-win. Yay. Hello and welcome back to It Was a Dark and Stormy Book Club. What is everybody up to? Well, I went to see the movie Bohemian Rhapsody last night. Doesn't have anything to do with a mystery, but it was an excellent movie and I highly recommend it. And I'm going to see it on Wednesday and I can't wait. I'll see it eventually. (laughs) But I can't wait either. Right. I'm a big Queen fan. (laughs) Today, we have an interview with Mark Cryer, who is the author of eight books in his Hugo Marston series. He also has a new series called Dominic. His first book is called The Hollow Man. It's different from the Hugo Marston. We will give our review after we talk to Mr. Pryor. Mark Pryor is a former newspaper reporter from England and now a prosecutor with the Travis County District Attorney's Office in Austin, Texas. He is the author of the Hugo Marston's mystery series set in Paris, London, and Barcelona. The most recent is The Sorbonne Affair, a flawlessly constructed who done it according to Booklist. His previous novel in the series was The Paris Librarian, which the Toronto Globe and Mail says has it all, a finely structured plot that's one of Pryor's best books yet. The first Hugo Marston novel, The Bookseller, was a library journal debut of the month and called Unputdownable by Oprah.com, and the series has been featured in the New York Times. Mark is also the author of the psychological thriller Hollow Man and its sequel Dominic, published in January of 2018. He also created the nationally recognized true crime blog DA Confidential. As a prosecutor, he has appeared on CBS News' 48 Hours and Discovery Channel's Discovery ID Cold Blood. Stay tuned for Mark's interview. We would like to welcome Mark Pryor to our podcast. He is the author of the wonderful Hugo Marston series and his latest book called Hollow Man. And we welcome Mark Pryor. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. All right. We're going to jump into the questions. Are your main characters like Hugo and Tom based on real people? And is Mark Pryor a bit of a Hugo or a Tom? (laughs) I think it's fair to say, you know, and I would have answered this question quite differently a few years ago. Hugo initially was based a little bit on my dad in the sense that he was a very smart, intelligent, quiet sort of person, but also on some actual FBI profilers I've worked with. That's the answer I always used to get. Nowadays, I, I don't really see it that way because 
after what the eighth book comes out in January, kind of feel like he's really developed very much into his own person. So while he was initially based on some real people, I really see him now as a very distinct individual. Same for Tom. Oh, and as for <laughs> as for me, honestly, I'm probably a little bit more like Tom. Oh, ah, <laughs> party animal. <laughs> yeah. At least I used to be. I don't know anymore. <laughs> having turned fifty with and having three kids and a full time job, I'm not. I don't get to <laughs> let, out, let out my inner Tom that much. But yeah, that's probably a little bit closer to him than you get maybe. Oh, okay. At what stage does your storyline get developed? Do you focus on the murder itself, the characters, or the location first to set the premise? I almost always start out knowing who gets killed, knowing why, and knowing who did it. But I do like to come up with a location to set the book in and sort of have each book be in its own part of Paris or feature a certain part of Paris. Like the second one, for example, Crypt Thief, I knew I was going to set in uh, and around the cemeteries of Paris. And the one that comes out in January, the book artist, I intentionally focused just on the area of Montmartre. I had to explore that a little bit. I usually begin with a, a locale and then you know who dies and who did it and why. Do you work with an outline? I try very hard one. After the <laughs> with the bookseller, I just kind of made up as I you know, went along. And then when I got a book deal, I thought, oh gosh, I'm actually a proper writer now. I'm sure I, I ought to have an outline. So I spent a couple of weeks outlining the crypt theme and then got to the end of the book and realized my outline was utterly useless. So I had in different stories, different characters, completely wasted two weeks. Uh, so sometimes what I'll do once I get going, I'll think three or four chapters ahead, but never more than that. Very interesting. And I tell you, I really enjoy your locales and your books. You do a great job of taking you there and setting up. I've been to Paris once. I felt like I was there in some of the books. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I try really hard to do that. And for that reason that I force myself every year to go to Paris and spend a few days there. Oh, oh yes. You I know. I know. I suffer for my art. <laughs> well, if you ever need an intern, I think we'd be willing to yes, sign up. Yes, yes. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many offers I get for that. <laughs> Does your previous experience in the judicial system spill over into your stories? It, it does in the sense that I know how Hugo and the French police would likely handle a crime scene. Well, I, know, I know the steps it would take to solve a crime, so I don't have to do that research, which is nice. I don't really use much stuff from my job because, frankly, the, the crimes that we deal with in real life are either very unsexy, gang shootings or whatever, or they're just too unlikely, too ridiculous to believe that no one would believe them. I use the practical procedural stuff in the murder scene, and I know how that works. And I try to stay away too from any courtroom type shenanigans. And that's for a couple reasons. One, I do it every day and escapism. <laughs> yeah. escapism for me too, right? Well, I don't know. You did on your website say something about a transvestite prostitute. It, I don't know. It sounds like you do have some interesting cases to talk about. Yeah, they, no, they're definitely interesting. I'm just, I just think sometimes they're a little bit too close to home. Well, I mean, if we have time, I'll tell you, I'll give you a good example of that. Oh, absolutely. I had a, I had a case last year where Basically, what happened was, if you can picture a big recycling center, you know, a big building with a conveyor belt where the, tra you know, the recycling comes along, the people are either side of the conveyor belt and they're sorting the paper from the plastic, from the glass, from the cans. And then and somebody at the far end says, oh, my goodness, who would put a mannequin in the recycling? Oh, dear. And, and then uh, 
uh, you see where this is headed, right? <laughs> Somebody a little bit closer said, oh, wait, that's not a mannequin. So they stopped the conveyor belt and the police did a great job, came down and they and they looked at, instead of clearing everything off the body, they looked at all the paper around the body to try and find envelopes, figure out which part of town it came from, which they did. And they found the address and kept the, the recycling cap. And sure enough, it had blood in it and it was the victim's blood. They found the murder scene. Wow. Well, I know, but think about this. Right next to the recycling can, my house and pretty much every house in Austin is a trash can. And if you put a body in the trash can, it goes dump and is never seen again. While that sounds like a great story, a great beginning to a story, there's a big plot hole in that any intelligent criminal, and books have to have intelligent criminals, otherwise they're not very much fun, would have put the body in the trash can, right? Not the recycling can, because obviously it's going to get discovered if it's in the recycling can. Well, well, so. you would know the difference, but I've always heard that in real life, criminals are not very smart. <laughs> right. That's why we catch them, right? That's how we call this dude. Right. Um, if he put that body in the trash can, we, it was the victim was a homeless person. We might never have known they were missing. Oh, wow. Uh, How difficult was it to get your first book published? <laughs> I'll answer that question this way. The first book that I had published was The Bookseller. Uh, before that, I had written a novel that I tried to get, you know, written to probably 100 agents, got rejected by every single one of them. Then I wrote another novel. Same thing happened. I wrote a third book. Same thing happened again. So I wrote three entire novels, racked up hundreds of rejections before I wrote The Bookseller. Now, when I wrote that and I reached out to agents, I got some interest pretty quickly. And it took maybe a year for her to sell it eventually. What I tell people is, don't give up. There are any aspiring writers listening to this. My advice is, look, <laughs> my journey was long and a little of rejection, but I just refused to give up. And I think I got better as I went along. The more books I wrote, I got better and better, which is why The Bookseller took hold, I think. I didn't give up. And my recommendation is just stick at it. Good advice. Well, well, the bookseller grabbed you the minute you started Mm -hmm. reading it, and it didn't let you go till you were almost finished with the whole book. It was wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, besides writing books, you are a professional prosecutor. You blog. You're a husband, father, and, of course, you travel to Paris. How (laughs) do you balance all of these demands? I'm busy all of the time. I have a very understanding family. The minute I hop offline with you guys, I'm going to head to the library and get to work, which means not spending Sunday afternoon with the wife and kids. What I tell people is I never have a spare minute. I never have time where I'm wondering what I should be doing. What can I do now? What shall I do today? It's always pretty much every hour of my life is scheduled. But I also tell people I'm fine with that. I have a great job. I have a great writing career. And, you know, I feel like I'm I'm very lucky. I know there are a lot of people who are doing the same thing I am and they're not getting published or it's hard for all of us. So I'm quite happy with how things are working out so far. Wonderful. <laughs> it sounds like you have managed to have it all as far as being a writer and a career. And that's wonderful. I have a question for you. On your website, you have a section that says true crime and it says coming soon. That's intriguing. What is that about? That's about me not updating my website in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's, I updated it last week, but I guess I just didn't get to that page. I, I suppose what that means is that it doesn't mention my true crime book. Oh, you do uh, have a true crime book. I, I wrote one true crime book and that was several years, quite a few years ago, so I'm surprised I haven't got around to putting it uh. up there. <laughs> What's the name of it? It's called As She Lay Sleeping. Ooh. That sounds familiar. That's an intriguing <laughs> title. It was a murder case that I was the prosecutor on that we tried. I think I tried it in 2011. I wrote the book after that. It was a cold case where we didn't have any DNA, no physical evidence, no eyewitnesses. It's a very circumstantial case that we put together. And it was on a 48 Hours covered it and Discovery ID covered it. And it was a, just a very interesting, twisty, turny case. So I, I got permission from my boss at the time and, and wrote the book about it. Wow. Great. Wow. We'll look for that. Okay. Yeah, it's online 
still, I think. What are the differences between the American and French methods of policing and their judicial systems? That's a very fair question, but I don't know the answer to it. Oh. <laughs> Let me explain why. I have a friend, a writer, you may have heard of her, she's fantastic. Her name is Jamie Mason. And she has the thing, she says that you have the rest of your life to write your first book. And that's true. And basically what she's saying is while you're writing your first book, there's nobody waiting for it. Uh, there's not an editor. There's not an agent. There aren't readers. There are no expectations from anybody at all. And so when I wrote The Bookseller, that was the situation I was in. And bear in mind, I had probably three or 400 agent rejections at that point. So I wasn't expecting anybody to really ever see The Bookseller. And so I didn't do in-depth research about the difference in the, the judicial systems and all that sort of thing. I just made it up as I went along. And that's sort of how I've continued to do it. And one of the things I do is I avoid any courtroom situations. I kind of avoid getting into the procedural stuff, the legal procedural stuff that is in the Paris books, just because I don't find it that interesting. I don't find it that necessary. And it's not. If I start doing that, then that kind of takes Hugo out of the picture because he's not going to be involved in that. So That's true, since he's an employee of the United right. States. Right. Yeah, so basically what happens is he will solve the crime with the help of the French police, usually, and then he'll hand the criminal over to the French police and sort of end the book. <laughs> <laughs> but then he went to Barcelona in the, the reluctant matador. And that was interesting because I, I realized that I could set Hugo pretty much anywhere I want to in the world because of his job. My wife and I spent some time a few years ago talking about where we wanted to go on vacation, right? So it makes perfect sense to set a book where we're on vacation, and both through a bunch of different places out there. And in the end, we ended up taking the family to Barcelona. And we kind of got there and were settled into the apartment that we were renting. And she turned to me and she said, ah, so we're in Barcelona. Are you happy? And I said, well, wait a minute. I thought you wanted to go to Barcelona. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 it was you. And I was like, no, it really wasn't. But, um, I'm so happy because we had the best vacation. It's, it's yeah, Barcelona is wonderful. It's a beautiful oh, it really city. Uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's a great place to set a book. So it worked out really well. <laughs> wonderful. And it was a good book, too. Well, thank you. Well, Hollow Man is such a change from Hugo and his adventures. And it reads in a manner that makes the reader visualize the story as it goes. Are there any plans to make it into a movie or a TV series, perhaps? Well, obviously, I would love that, as every author would. We did initially have some contact from a few studios or production companies, but nothing has materialized. And, you know, as my agent says, don't get excited until somebody hands you a check. <laughs> uh, nobody's done that yet. I would love that. I think they would make a very good kind of dark, sinister movie. Yes. Fortunately, that's out of my hands. Mm -hmm. That was a good book, too. I liked the Hugo Marston series better, but that was uh, a good book. I so, think it's because you just get to know those characters yes, so well. Yes. Oh, it's right. hard to get into an anti-hero also. I right. Think. Yeah, and you know there's a sequel to Hollow Man now. Oh, really? I did see that was coming out. Definitely in January. Speaking of that, do you have any upcoming events or books you'd like our listeners to know about? You mentioned the book in January. Yeah, really, that's the main thing uh, I'm focused on right now is that it's called The Book Artist. It comes out January the 8th. I will be doing a few appearances in the Northeast and around Texas where I am. Where in the Northeast? I think right now I'm talking with my publisher. We're probably going to be Boston, New York, D.C., Chicago, Minneapolis. We're right outside uh, D.C. Let us know when you're going to be there. Well, yeah. I'd love to meet you guys. Yes, yeah, definitely. would be wonderful. Okay. Do you ever go to any of the mystery festivals? Every year I go to Bouchicon, yes. Oh, oh okay. Wow. That's in your neck that of the woods, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right there. We're not going to that one. We're going to Malice Domestic and I think hopefully Thriller Fest okay. in New York. Uh, where is Malice Domestic? That's right out in our neck of the woods, right outside 
outside Washington. When is that? May 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll actually consider that. I always go to VouchCon, but I, because they always put it somewhere different, right? Every year. Uh huh. So it's fun to travel and see different places, although, like you say, it's in Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I, I would like to add one more to the rotation, so that would fun to. Yeah, we're definitely going, so let us know and we'll hook up. Okay. <laughs> well, Mark, we thank you so much for being on the show, and we will update our show notes with all your information if people would like to check out your books and your website. Well, listen, I would really appreciate you having me on. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully I'll get to meet you in the new year. Sounds oh, we good. Love Sounds that. good. Yes, thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was a great interview, and he was so gracious to give us the opportunity to interview him. Oh, and what an interesting person, and what a varied career he's had. Yeah. I think and we could have talked to him for hours. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would love to have heard more stories about his uh, cases in court. Oh, yeah. And if we ever do get an opportunity to meet him in person, we will ask him even more questions and maybe that even... May make him not want to come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe we, should... we don't want to be... Yeah, we don't want to become stalkerish with some of these authors, even though it would be so easy to do. <laughs> we are big fans of a lot of these authors. It's before we started this journey, I had read a few of his books, but I reacclimated myself once I knew we were going to be doing these interviews, and I am so glad that I did. I think one of the strongest parts of any of his books are his characters, especially his his protagonists and his main support people that are in all the books. They are so well done. Hugo and Tom, I just Claudia. and Claudia, just so well done and. You felt like you knew these people just from reading the first one. And then you get to revisit with those every time. You almost don't even care what the story is because you've gotten into these people's lives and you care about what's happening with them. Exactly. What else I liked about the characters, a lot of these mysteries and thrillers will set the protagonist against the police department. Like the police departments, they're idiots. They don't know what they're doing. And the protagonist is there. He's the hero and he saves the day. In Mark's book, he has made the police department very competent and they work alongside Hugo in solving these mysteries. So I like that. That's a departure from most mysteries. But they kind of go around the police a lot of times. Yeah, especially well, in in his, When you work for the embassy, he's mm -hmm. not following the Paris police's lead on how to proceed. But in some of the books, he and Tom... You make it sound like you're such a rule person. I know. <laughs> Every time we talk about these books, you're like, he's bending the rules. Well, you bend he, the rules every day. When you <laughs> break into an office and then get filmed on CCTV and you have to turn yourself into the police and they give you an escort and you sneak around the escort and break into an apartment, that's bending the rules. I'm yeah. sorry. Well, and yeah, I love it. I absolutely I love, love the it. Book. The stories <laughs> are great, but don't say he goes along with the police at all times. Well, I, well, I they didn't say they the do book, work together. That's what makes the book interesting. If they Wouldn't that be a boring book? Yes, it if, but you're and right, that, And as did say, that he makes 
a lot of it up as he goes along. So <laughs> I love that. I love the fact, you know, I never really thought about that before, that after he said that, I started going back in my head, and I was like, you know what, he's right. Once it hits the judicial part, the book's done. That was interesting. Yes. Well, I really enjoyed Mark's use of language, and he's such a wonderful wordsmith that I just felt that I could picture the scene in all of his books. And I picked out a quote from The Crypt Thief that kind of gives you the idea of what I mean. A breeze passed through the trees, and he heard the rustle of leaves, like sighs of relief after a long hot day. The gentle draft reached him and ruffled the page in his hand, caressed his cheek. He clipped off the lamp and looked up, savoring the coolness, and he shut his eyes just for a moment, tipping his head back so the sweat on his throat could dry. It just sets the scene and you it can really feel does. the ambiance. So yes. I really commend him for his use of language and words. Yes, he is definitely an expert wordsmith. What I liked about the books were the location. Most of his books take place in Paris and he goes from Location to location, he goes to the Terre Lachaise Cemetery, where the singer Jim Morrison is buried. He goes to Montmartre in the book. His bookseller takes place at the Seine, the artists and the booksellers along the, the river. Yes. Yeah, the Bucanistas. And you know what? One thing that, speaking of the places, I like the fact that if he talked about an area, it might show up in another book. Like, the Bucanistas stalls showed up in quite a few of the books. So I like the fact that he doesn't just write about an area and forget about it. They reappear. It's right. a continuing character itself. Now, when his book, The Reluctant Matador, he and Tom go off off to the lovely city of Barcelona, and the mystery takes place there, searching for the daughter of a friend of Hugo's who's gone missing. And that city plays a big part in the story. It, the locations in his book become actual characters in the story. Yeah, we talk about sometimes how books could take place anywhere. Well, that's not so with Mark's books. They need to be where they are because of the people, of the location. The ambiance. The ambiance, yes. definitely. I think we need to go on a field trip. Oh, to oh absolutely. I'm out. ready. I'm, I'm packing. <laughs> See you later. We're leaving. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be on hiatus for... <laughs> not really. Not really. We wouldn't come back. No. <laughs> when we get rich and famous, we'll go to Barcelona and Paris. So. <laughs> well, we thank him for taking time out of his hectic schedule to come on our show and visit with us. And we appreciate his graciousness and we wish him well in all of his mm -hmm. writing. Mark's website is www.markpriorbooks.com. And Mark Pryor is M-A-R-K-P-R-Y-O-R. -R. Our next author will be focused on for our Q book is D.M. Quincy author of the Atlas Catesby Mystery Series. So look for that in two weeks. And next week, we will have another one of our exciting bookends episodes. You never know what's going to happen on those. They're a lot of fun. Yes, I think you'll enjoy those. And that'll be in two weeks. And we hope you'll join us then. And be sure and visit our website, 
at itwasadarkandstormybookclub.com to find links to all our episodes and social media. And to sign up for the newsletter. Yes. Like I said, we're a one-stop shop. Lots of goodies there. And we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. And remember, life would be boring without a little mystery. Bye. Bye.